we have been studying the book of Galatians for uh, several weeks now. And what I really want to talk about this morning is enjoying our freedom. I feel like in a week filled, in a, a months and months filled with a lot of reasons um, to fear, to worry, to struggle, sometimes it's really nice to remember that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to actually enjoy him forever. And that doesn't mean just wait to heaven to enjoy God. We're really meant to enjoy the Lord now. And so that's going to be my encouragement for you this morning, to enjoy the Lord um, to enjoy the way he's freed you. Um, if you are comfortable to, I'll just mention you, you're welcome to take off your mask at this point. Uh, you're also welcome to keep them on. And uh, I'll pray as we begin. Lord, I thank you um, for how we have so many reasons to just enjoy you. Uh, may you be a, a peace to our hearts and a comfort to our souls this morning. And in your name we pray. Um, so Jesus came to set us free. He said this uh, when he opened up Isaiah's scroll very early in his ministry. This is from Luke 4. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The gospel has a power when it's received by faith to set people free. That's the fundamental thing, right? Freedom from captivity, freedom from bondage. Internal bondage is real. Jesus has power over it. External bondage is real. Jesus has power over that. God's wrath is real. Jesus satisfies that. And so before I read this section, I'll just remind you, we are at the last, Paul's last argument for why the Galatians should not insist on circumcising uh, their members, why they should not insist on observing the laws of Jerusalem, why they should remember that all they ever need is faith in Jesus Christ. By it, they're made righteous. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to talk someone out of a really bad decision. You ever done that? Like, if it's really bad, not just like, I don't think you should wear that shirt with that pants. You know, if it's seriously bad, you'll do all sorts of things, right? You'll plead personally, you'll give examples, you'll exhort, you'll warn. And this is like the last tool in Paul's box. He's done a lot of things. And so now he is giving them a final warning from Scripture, and he's really getting to this central truth. You are free people. You're free. So quit walking back into slavery again. Here's the beginning. This section is a little confusing, so I'm going to take it in chunks. The first chunk is verses 21 to 23. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, and the son of the free woman was born through the promise. So Paul's referring to Genesis 12 to 22. Um, I'm going to assume a good number of you probably know the story, um, but some of you may not. So in a nutshell, here it is, right? God appears to Abraham, and he says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And Abraham says, 
essentially. Wow, thank you. And God says, now go. Leave your hometown and go where I send you. And so Abraham and Sarah pack up their bags and go. Years pass by. God appears to Abraham again, and he says, I'm your shield, your very great reward. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And Abraham goes, I can't even have a baby. How can you make a great nation out of me if we can't have one stinking kid? He says, Eleazar, this boy in our, our this kid in our, our clan, in our tent clan here, he's the heir right now. And God says, look up at the stars, right? That's how numerous your offspring will be. And did Abraham believe him? He did. It says, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Years go by. Sarah turned 77. 77 is not a great age for bearing children. I did read about a 74-year-old woman who had twins this week. This is the random research. You know, you got to not, like, bird trail down too far as a pastor. But it was IVF, but still, twins at 74. That's pretty crazy. The oldest one on record, live, like modern, 59 years old, natural birth. Sarah is 77, and she gives up. And she goes, clearly, I'm not meant to bear the promised child. And she tells Abraham, take my servant, Hagar. And in the Bible, says, he says, she says, make her your wife. Have a baby with her. And Abraham does. And Hagar has a baby Hagar is what Paul calls the slave woman in the passage because she was a slave in the house. Sarah is the free woman. Do you know the name of Hagar's child? Ishmael, right? Ishmael is born. There's a little bit of a kerfluffle, but they all end up back under the same roof again. And 13 years go by. Ishmael is probably getting some hair on his leg. His voice is starting to crack, right? I, you get the feeling that they think they figured it out. We have an heir, it's from Abraham, and then God shows up again. Abraham is 100, Sarah is 90, and God tells Abraham, Sarah will have a son. Abraham can barely keep it in. He goes this, that Ishmael might live before you. You get the feeling, he's like, Lord, we figured it out. We got the kid, like we didn't quite do it the right way, but we got a kid and we have an heir and we're ready to build this nation. Why are you coming back and telling us Sarah is going to have the baby? She's 90, I'm 100. And look, what, look at this what Abraham says, that Ishmael might live before you. And the Lord says what? No. <laughs> he says, no, Sarah, your wife will bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac and I will establish my covenant with him. Sarah's in the tent. She's giggling. She's laughing. This is ridiculous. A year later, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Sarah did give birth to a son, Isaac. So jump back to the question, first point of application. I won't develop it long because Paul doesn't, he moves off it. Do you live according to the flesh or according to the promise? But if you think about your own life, to live according to the flesh says, I want joy and happiness and God's way is not working out. I'm going to try to shortcut it and go my way. 
My ends are going to justify my means. I might need to manipulate people or circumstances, but God does not seem to be keeping his promises to me. So I'm going to find another way to get the joy and the happiness I want. And free people end up back in slavery, especially believers end up back in slavery when they think this way. They end up in addictions to drugs. They end up in addiction to pornography. They end up in fights. They end up splitting marriages. Sin creeps in against bondage because they're operating. Christians can operate according to what the Bible calls the flesh. This human desire to say, I know I want joy. I know I want to be happy. God's way doesn't seem to get me there. And God is like, you have to wait on the promise. You have to be a child of the promise. But not only that, he says, you are children of the promise, right? There's this double connect. If you're here and you're saved by grace alone, it means God's promise has come to you. And so Paul is saying, let's live like children of the promise that we are. He moves on. Now Paul's going to look at this story of the slave and the free woman. Now this may interpret it allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. This is a little complicated, right? But here it is, okay? You've got two women, they represent two covenants. You've got Hagar, the slave woman. She represents the law given on Mount Sinai by Moses to the people. That law was being taught out of present-day Jerusalem. Those teachers were coming into Galatia. They were teaching the law all over again, and they were leading Christians back into slavery, enslavement to ritual, enslavement to trying to merit God's salvation, right? That's the path. Paul's saying that's one covenant. Hagar represents that. He says Sarah represents a different covenant. Sarah represents God's covenant of promise with Abraham, which Jesus fulfills, right? Christ sent, if you will, from the heavenly Jerusalem, and that covenant brings freedom. You follow? Are we clear on this, right? The two women, Hagar and Sarah, free and slave, both Paul saying, you could just look at them like an allegory. If you've ever, have you ever read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Have you ever read that book? Um, it's a great book for kids. There's a lion in there. His name is Aslan. He represents Jesus. Right? It's an allegory. There's a witch. She represents Satan. So an allegory is when one person represents something else. And Paul's saying, you can look at that whole story with Sarah and Hagar and see it allegorically. Now, he's not saying it didn't actually happen. He's just saying it actually it works like a good allegory. It's a good analogy. And he's saying, now, those, Jerusalem, those teachers who are in your midst, who are telling you you need to be circumcised, they're bringing the law back in all over, and all they're going to do is enslave you. Who's your mother? Right? That's the next question here, right? Who's your mom? Paul's saying, are, are you Hagar's children? Are you children of the slave woman? Well, if you're not, why do you want to go back to the law? Why do you want to go back into slavery? Who's your mom this morning? Is it Sarah? 
Are you a child of the promise? Is Jerusalem your mother? Has God's grace come into your life? Right there, the scripture confronts us with these questions, right? And it means, right, like, as you guys think about enjoying your freedom, if you know you're saved, but you walk back into slavery, you never get to enjoy your freedom. Because you're just enslaving yourself all over again. And that's Paul's warning. He says, his first conclusion is this, though. He goes, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. So that's the first conclusion. He says, look, you're Isaac. You're promised children. You're not like Ishmael and slave children. You're children of the promise. So be who you are. And then he comes to a second conclusion. This is verse 29 to 30. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, so Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the free woman. The second conclusion is this. You may be persecuted as a believer in Christ. When it's coming from the outside, you all you can do is endure. But he's saying if it's coming from the inside, if it's coming from false teachers in the church, cast them out. And he makes that very explicit a few passages later. But he's saying... Do not tolerate teaching that enslaves you, that leads you away from the gospel of Jesus within the body. You see, you just can't, you can't let that fester and grow. That's conclusion two. Conclusion three goes like this. So brothers, we're not children of the slave, but we're of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So let's pause a minute here. Let me just ask you, do you enjoy being a Christian? Does it make you happy? It should. Or do you feel like you just do it because you're supposed to? And it doesn't bring you joy. And it doesn't bring you any sense of life. If you're in that camp, it's a good, it's a good indicator that you're probably really not as free as you ought to be. Right? We're meant to enjoy the freedoms we have in Christ. And now I want to take this time to kind of close out by just talking about what does it mean for me to tell you that you're free? Does it mean you're physically free from all sickness and harm? No, right? Does it mean that you're uh, politically free and that you have rights as a democracy that Jesus has died on the cross for you? No, no. The people who received this were living under a, in an empire, right? They were living under an emperor. They had far fewer freedoms than you do, and yet they were just as free as you and I. So what kind of freedoms did Jesus actually set us free? How does he set us free? First, spiritually. Second, mentally. Third, emotionally. Fourth, socially, right? There's still a lot of aspects. In fact, physically and politically are probably the two outliers. There's a ton of freedom to enjoy having in Jesus. You should enjoy knowing 
if you're a Christian, that sin does not have dominion over you. You should enjoy knowing that. You should enjoy knowing that Jesus Christ has broken the spiritual bondage of your heart and your mind to sin and to Satan. That's what he says here. Sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Now, my experience is this, though, that God has done something interesting. He's often paired the freedom we can have from sin with working with other people in our lives. Have you guys ever noticed that? You can be caught in sin a long time, but when you start to bring other people into it, some of the power is released in those relationships. As you confess your sins to other people and as they start to pray for you, this has been my experience, you start to see that in fact dominion has been broken. You're not a slave to sin anymore. But there's a part of you that if you just think you'll get it done on your own, if you think uh, I'll win the battle, Jesus gave me the spirit, that's all I need, you'll often find that it's not enough. Now you're forgiven, right? You're spiritually forgiven, but you'll find it very hard to break the bondage of sin by yourself. I think those victories were meant to be won together. That's why we're at church. It's one of the reasons why. So if you're here this morning, you're online, and you're really caught in sin, and you think you're going to break out all by yourself, you're probably not. But don't despair. Instead, reach out to one another for help. Start to just be really honest and say, I need help here. I'm, kind of, I'm stuck. I've been stuck for years. And you will see God's good power at work in your life. You should enjoy the fact that you don't have to be stuck if you're stuck. You don't have to despair. There might be hidden things that you're dealing with 10, 20 years. I'm still telling you, you're free. Because that's what Jesus said. You're also free from oppressive people. Some of you um, really struggle when people don't approve of you. It really weighs down on you when you can't make them happy. You struggle when they say mean things about you. You know, we welcome the deaf in our church, and we know that sometimes there are deaf people who get told they can't do it, they're not smart enough. They shouldn't bother. That's not true. Jesus says, you're free from the judgments of oppressive people because you're my child. So our deaf Christians, our deaf believers should know in their heart the judgments of other people, they don't mean anything to me. All that matters is what God says about them. It's also been true of black people in America, right? As we like reflect on race more broadly. For centuries, they were told, well, you're more lazy and you're sinful and your skin color shows your heart and all sorts of terrible lies. But black believers know that's not true, right? They know that's not true at all. I'm a child of the king. There may be people who, who, who put you down for all sorts of reasons, but they don't speak the truth about your life. We're free from oppressive people in Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful thing. And I hope you can enjoy that. Because guess what? There's no shortage of in this world. <laughs> Oppressive people. Right? This is a sin-filled world. There's always someone who's happy to oppress you, to beat you down, to tell you you're worthless, to point out your flaws. Jesus says, if you are my child, you're my child. 
You're my child forever. You're righteous in my sight. You're holy. You're beloved by God. And I don't care what they say about you because you're mine. And that is tremendously freeing. You should also enjoy the fact that you're free from anxiety and worry. You might say, but Pastor Peter, I'm not free from anxiety and worry. I worry all the time. I know. Me too. Not all the time. But look, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And Jesus said, right, why do you worry? It doesn't add a single hour to your day. So we know that we do worry, and we know that we do have anxiety, which is precisely why God said, don't worry. If we didn't worry, he wouldn't have said it, right? But he says, you don't need to worry. Because I am your Father in heaven, and I will provide, and I will come, and I will judge your enemies, right, back to oppressive people, back to the bondage of sin, back to death, right, because I have set you free. So I hope you can enjoy the fact that, although you may worry, you don't need to. And mostly it gives us ulcers. It doesn't really help things. So how do you stop worrying? Ha <laughs> If I knew that simply, I think I'd be a gazillionaire, right? But I will say what I've learned along the way. I just pray. And sometimes I, I just try to stay in prayer until I feel the peace of God transcending. It might sound mystical and crazy, but that's kind of what I do. I just pray until I know I've, I've connected with the Lord. I don't hear choirs of angels. I don't see the light parting through the sky. But my heart receives some measure of peace because I know, all right, I brought it to the Father. I have done the thing I should do. And it's in his court. If you guys can learn that, you will experience less worry and more peace. That deep reliance that says, I'm not going to operate according to the flesh, right? That's worry fix anxiety I'm going to go by the promise which says the father hears and knows and provides that's a faith step isn't it and that's really hard Sarah and Abraham I mean let's face it would we have done any differently I mean they were so faithful for all those years and they hit a breaking point they couldn't quite think it's going to happen God's way lastly Why else should you enjoy your freedom? I kind of say the gospel last, right? Because you're forgiven. God's wrath has been satisfied by Jesus' death on the cross. You're forgiven. That's it. You're done. It's, fair. it's done. It's that final. If you've received Christ, you are finally, completely, entirely forgiven. There's no cross left to die on again. There will be no more shedding of blood for your sins. There will be no more sacrifices poured out on the altar. The word has been spoken. The word is it is finished. And you're forgiven. So you should never think that somewhere in the back of God's mind is this lingering sense that, eh, 
Maybe we should not forget. God has called you, and he's delivered you, and he's given you eyes to see. The work is done. And so you and I, we operate like free agents in this world. We're not bound to systems and politics and people and parties. We're bound to Jesus Christ. And so we have this tremendous freedom to operate for the Lord's glory and his good. And sometimes it puts us in people's favor, and sometimes it puts us in their displeasure. But as long as we're actually being true to Scripture and the Lord's calling, those reactions don't matter. They really should not matter at all. They're just people. And God has spoken. And God's word is true. And I love this last part here. Not only are you forgiven, but your future is sure. Right? I'm sure some of you have seen this, hopefully not just on a mug or a t-shirt. <laughs> I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. If you're Jesus's, that verse applies to you. If you're not, you can't claim that promise until you bow your knee to the Lord. But if Jesus is your Savior, then you know in some very profound way that God is telling you, I have your future in my hands. I'm giving you a future. I'm giving you a hope. You might see it when you're 90 and barren. You might not see it till the other side of glory. But you'll see it. You'll see it. And so today, just enjoy your freedom, would you, please, this week? Remember, I'm freed from bondage, freed internally, I'm freed from other people and their judgments. I'm freed from the wrath of God. I'm freed from the, the craziness of our world. And I'm freed, I'm forgiven, I have a future, I have a hope. Jesus has done it all. Would you, uh, that's my only request this week. I want you to have fun being a Christian. I want it to make you smile to know that God's grace has been poured out in your life. And when you feel like frowning, go down in prayer and ask the Lord to remind you of all the blessings he has for you. Because one of those is in fact joy. Those are your marching orders this week to enjoy your freedom in Jesus. Um, Charles, why don't you come up and close with one last song? I'm just going to pray before we enter our funds. <laughs>